If you would, please turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2. Last week, we began a series walking through uh, this book chapter by chapter as Duane looked at a couple verses from chapter 1. And today, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 12 in chapter 2. As you're turning there, I just wanted to remind you, as Duane said last week, that we do have some resources available for your personal study throughout this series back in the Resource Center. Have this awesome little commentary. It's, it's really helpful at pointing you towards Jesus and towards the gospel of grace in this uh, gospel account. I encourage you to, to go back and pick some up. We sold out last week, so I bought some more. Um, one other book I wanted to tell you about that I just read a couple weeks ago uh, is this book called God's Grace in Your Suffering. Um, I realize, and we as pastors realize, um, the difficult season that our church has been in lately, Um, and the pastors are are not exempt from that either. Um, We've all been really walking through a season of suffering in one way or another, Um, and I found this book to be just very helpful, um, very encouraging, very comforting. Um, his, his premise in the entire thing is just showing us how God's grace meets us in a beautiful way in a season of suffering that we're walking through. And so I commend this book to you. It's also available back in the Resource Center. Take a look at it after uh, the, the message here this morning. All right, so we're going to read these 12 verses, and then we'll jump into making sense of what we have here in the Word. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And when he, this is speaking about Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they had thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Father, We come to you this morning desiring to encounter Jesus in a very real and beautiful way. And we pray that as we see him here, 
ruling and reigning as Lord, that you would change us, that this encounter would produce in us what you desire. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So in this series through the Gospel of Mark, we are aiming to encounter Jesus from Mark's perspective, the one writing the Gospel. And as Dwayne pointed out last week, uh, much or Mark's concern is to establish for his audience the identity of Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. Mark is a very quick-moving Gospel, and he just jumps right out of the gate, full force, In the first verse, no genealogy, no nothing. All he says is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And the rest of his gospel is all about showing us the identity of Jesus as the Messiah, as the Son of God. Now this being Mark's aim, he spends much of his time dealing with Jesus' authority The authority that Jesus has and demonstrates, which ultimately points to his lordship as the ruler of all things. Now, the sphere in which we will explore Jesus' lordship this morning is his lordship over the whole of man, both body and soul, as we see him dealing with this paralytic in that way, ruling and reigning over the paralytic's soul and body. And so that's what we'll see as we go throughout here. And our aim this morning for us is to see the Lordship of Christ and to submit ourselves to Him. So as we begin to unfold the Lordship of Christ over man, let's first consider His Lordship over man's soul. And we see this in verses 1 through 5. We'll begin here by reading the first four verses again. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Now, as we consider Jesus' lordship over the soul of man, the first thing that we see here is the faith of these men and the paralytic in the lordship of Jesus. In the first couple verses here, uh, Mark sets the stage for this great display of faith in Jesus' lordship. We see here that Jesus' ministry, he as a person, is gaining much influence and fame. He's been going about the region of Galilee, healing people and preaching with much authority, as Mark's gospel tells us. And now he comes back to the town of Capernaum and is residing in a home where these crowds just flock to him. And he's standing in this home preaching to them, and Mark gives us some very close-up detail as to the setting uh, where we find ourselves here. He says three things. He says, many gathered there. There was no room, not even at the door. What Mark is trying to say is that the house was packed, that there was no getting in, no getting out. Now, Mark is giving us this detail again to set the stage for the display of faith that we will see in the paralytic and his friends. 
And what we see here as they come and seek to bring their friend to Jesus is we see the nature of their faith at work. The first thing we see about their faith is that it was a determined faith. The text says when they could not get near him because of the crowd. Now we assume that they figured out another way to get to him as we see in the text, right? I can only imagine what that conversation was like. They're carrying their friend on this bed and they get there and they're like, it's full. You know, we're not, we're not getting to Jesus today. And then they have this little conversation among themselves. Can you imagine the one guy that was like, I got an idea. Let's take the roof off and lower him down from above. I, I don't even know what his other friends were thinking. Apparently they came around to thinking it was a good idea because it actually happened. But you see the nature of their faith here. It was a determined faith. They were going to get their friend to Jesus that day. Not even the roof was going to stop them, right? Secondly, we see that their faith was a radical faith. Not only did they come up with this crazy idea to remove the roof, but they actually did it, right? They went to extreme measures to get their friend to Jesus. Now, what made their faith determined and radical in nature? I believe that what made their faith determined and radical is that they understood two crucial things. They understood that there was absolutely nothing they could do to fix their friend. They couldn't make his arms move again. They couldn't make his legs function as normal. They did not have the ability They did not have the power. They understood their inability in this regard. And secondly, they knew that Jesus could fix him. They knew that Jesus could make it right. In a very real way, they acknowledged, their faith was of such that they acknowledged their weakness, inability, and lack of control. And that pushed them to seeing Jesus as powerful, able, and Lord. Jesus had what their friend desperately needed. Their faith was of such that they recognized the lordship of Jesus over their friend's paralysis. Now in this example of faith in Jesus and in his lordship, these men reveal something to us that is essential for the growth of our own faith. If we want our faith to grow, we must be regularly acknowledging and embracing two things, the things that we just saw. We must regularly acknowledge our weakness, inability, and lack of control. And as we do, we must embrace Jesus' strength, ability, and lordship over our lives. This is what the life of faith is. It is a continual acknowledging of the illusion of our own lordship and submitting to the lordship of Christ over us. That's what living by faith is. Living in weakness. In our own weakness and in the strength of Christ. Why is it so difficult to live life this way? 
Why is it so difficult to continually recognize our weakness, inability, and lack of control and to embrace the opposite in Christ? I think it's difficult for two reasons. The first reason why it's difficult is that we as sinners have a sinful nature that is telling us and continually longing to be Lord of our own lives. This is what Satan convinced our parents of in the garden. He convinced them that they really could be Lord of their own life. And that's what led to their rebellion against the Lordship of Christ. And this is the disposition that they handed down to us. There is something deep within us, and if we're honest with ourselves, I think that we can see it pretty clearly. There is something deep within us that craves lordship, that craves control, that craves power, and we want it. This is the first reason why it's very difficult to live in this way. The second reason why it is difficult is that this longing and desire within us for lordship is continually fed by our culture, by the world that we live in. Our culture is a culture that won't admit weakness, that denies inability, and that glorifies control. And so when you take somebody who in nature is fundamentally flawed, believing that they can be Lord over their own lives, and you place them into a world and into a culture that is cultivating all of those things within them, what do you expect to get on the other side? Somebody who truly believes and lives as though they are Lord of their own lives. And this is not just the reality for unbelievers. This is a great temptation and struggle for us as Christians. We deeply struggle with this. It is a great temptation for us to believe and live under the illusion that we can be Lord of our own lives. And I think that if we're honest with ourselves, we feed on that. We feed on that reality We embrace those things that the culture tells us because we deep down inside of us enjoy it. But this is not the life of faith that Christ has called us to. When we live in this way, it ultimately leads us to living a life of reliance on self. And we experience very little of the power of God in our lives. You see, the power of God in our lives comes through admitting our weakness, our inability, and our lack of control, and in embracing the strength, ability, and lordship of Christ over us. That's what these guys understood. All we have to do is get to Jesus. Their faith recognized that they couldn't fix it, but that Jesus could it recognized that He was Lord over them. A growing faith is a faith that is increasingly embracing the Lordship of Christ. That's what we see here. Now Mark goes on to show us Jesus' response to the faith of the paralytic and his friends, which is very, very interesting. And we see this in verse 5. So they've lowered Him down to Jesus from the roof. And this is what it says. 
And when Jesus saw their faith, he turned to the paralytic and said, Son, your sins are forgiven. I want you to notice two things here in Jesus' address to the paralytic. First, notice how he speaks to him and addresses him. He says, son. What kind of connotation does that have for you when you hear that? Isn't that a very tender, compassionate, loving address? The address of a father to his child? Jesus here is recognizing the affliction of this man and is treating him very tenderly. This is a term of comfort and tenderness for this afflicted man. Now secondly, we notice the need that Jesus meets. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, up until this point in the narrative, the story would lead us to believe that these five men came to Jesus seeking physical healing for their friend. But Jesus does not initially heal the man, but instead forgives his sins. And we see something very important and beautiful in this. Jesus saw that this man had a much deeper need than that of his paralysis. He needed spiritual healing. He needed to be reconciled to God. And Jesus, being God, was able to give that to him. Altogether here, Mark shows us why Jesus' lordship and embracing his lordship over us is so sweet and so beautiful. First, we see that Jesus' lordship over his people is not harsh or cold, but it is a compassionate and tender lordship. The same way that Jesus addressed this afflicted, paralyzed man is the same way that he addresses you as his child today. He says, son or daughter. Jesus' lordship is not of such that he proclaims us slaves, but children. Can you see the difference between the two? Jesus' lordship is tender and compassionate. Secondly, we see that when we come to Jesus in faith that is embracing his lordship, he discerns and meets our deepest needs. This should be a great encouragement to us. A great encouragement to all who believe. But it should be especially encouraging to those of you who are walking through a season of affliction. If that's you today and you have been walking in a season of suffering, I want you to listen very closely to me. In your suffering Jesus does not disregard you as being too lowly for him to take notice of. His lordship is not of such a nature that he passes over the weak and the needy. That he passes over what is otherwise insignificant. Rather, listen, 
as Lord, as Lord, Jesus is seeking and delights to help those who are weak and needy. And when do we understand and recognize our neediness and our weakness more than when we, in our, when we are in a season of suffering? That's when it's most evident to us, and that is when Jesus is most willing to come to our aid. Now, part of embracing the lordship of Jesus in your season of suffering is embracing his will for your trial. There are people who God wills to heal in this life, as we will see in this story. And there are those who God wills to heal in eternity. God always promises healing, but he does not promise the timing of it. And what it means for us to embrace the lordship of Christ over our trial means trusting in his plan for your affliction, even if his plan conflicts with your desires. Now this is, this is not easy. I'm not standing up here pretending that those of you who are walking through this season should just accept this easily. This is very difficult to swallow. But Mark is showing us here why though it may be difficult to swallow, that it should be so sweet. Has Jesus not given us reason to trust him in our season of affliction? He has shown us here that in our seasons of suffering, he so longs to come to our aid. And that his aid and his lordship over our suffering is a tender and compassionate lordship. This should cause us to run to him when we are weak and needy. So we see here Jesus' lordship over the soul of this man. That it is a compassionate and tender lordship. Now he reveals to us here, Mark does, that Jesus is Lord over the souls of men, having the ability and the authority to proclaim forgiveness of sins, to reconcile somebody to God. And that this Lordship is tender and kind. But Jesus is not only Lord of the soul, but Lord of the body as well. And we see this in verses 6 through 12. Let's begin here first by reading verses 6 and 7 where we see the Pharisees begin to question Jesus' authority and his lordship. And notice here that this is a contrast between the faith of the paralytic and his friends. We had a great display of faith in the lordship of Jesus and here now we have a great display of disbelief in his lordship. Verses 6 and 7. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now upon hearing Jesus' pronouncement that the paralytic sins were forgiven, the scribes who were there did not believe that Jesus was able to do such a thing. 
They doubted his authority. They doubted his lordship. And it says that they reasoned in their hearts, who can forgive sins but God alone? The question we need to ask ourselves is why did the scribes disbelieve in Jesus' lordship? Now, in this passage, Mark does not tell us, but he gives us an indication as to why they would if you look back at verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 22. Listen to what's said here. Jesus is preaching in the synagogues, and it says, And they, that is those who he was preaching to, were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And here, just verses later, we see the scribes disbelieving in the lordship of Christ. They disbelieved in the lordship of Christ because they felt threatened. They felt threatened that they would lose their control and power over the people. In a very real way, Jesus coming and pronouncing forgiveness of sins over this man, demonstrating his lordship over the soul of man, threatened their lordship, the lordship that they believed they had. Now there are some of you here today who will not believe in Jesus because you are afraid of what you will lose if you do. If that's you, think for a moment about what that thing is or those couple things that you know that if you believe in Jesus, you will have to surrender these things to him and to his lordship. What are you so willing to hold on to that you would endanger your soul to keep? Is your immoral relationship worth the price of your soul? Is your unlawful financial gain worth being punished for eternity? Are your impure fantasies worth forsaking your soul for? Is your reputation worth eternal punishment? Later on in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 8, Jesus tells us about the cost of following Him, the cost of discipleship. And He tells us something very important. This is what He says. He says, What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? What Jesus is saying here to you this morning in this verse, what he is saying is he is saying that not only is that one or two things that you have in your mind right now worth the price of your soul, he's saying that if you had everything, if you had every desire met, every pleasure fulfilled for the rest of your life, it would not be worth the price of your soul. It wouldn't be worth it. The scribes were afraid to submit to Jesus' lordship because they knew they would lose something in the process. What are you afraid to lose? Is it worth it? If you are here today, like the scribes, in disbelief in the lordship of Jesus, I want you to pay very close attention to the following verses where we see Jesus demonstrate his lordship over the body of men. We see this in verses 8 through 
12. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. Now let's not rush past verse 8. Verse 8 builds on the foundation of Jesus' lordship over the body of men. Let's not rush past it to the healing. Here, Jesus makes mention of Jesus' or Mark makes mention of Jesus' ability to perceive what was in the hearts of the scribes. And it is upon what he perceives that he asks them, why do you question these things in your heart? I can only imagine what the scribes were thinking at that point. My bet was that they were afraid to think, or they had this moment where, you know, sometimes you're like thinking something, and then you actually say it, and you don't realize that you said it. You just thought that you were thinking it, right? You're like, did I really say that out loud? Uh, That's not what happened here. Jesus has the ability to perceive into the hearts and the minds of these scribes. Mark is showing us that Jesus has the power that is only ever ascribed to God himself. Now this display of Jesus' power here is only the beginning of his demonstration of his lordship. Next we see how he heals the paralytic. Now, Jesus sets up the scribes here by presenting to them a scenario. He says, which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? Now, it's easier for Jesus to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, because there is no way for the audience to verify that this man's sins were actually pardoned. We're talking about a spiritual reality here that can't be perceived by human eyes. So it's easier to just say, your sins are forgiven. There's no way to prove that. Therefore, it is more difficult to tell the paralytic, take up your bed and walk, because it is immediately falsifiable. Either he's going to be able to get up and walk, or he's not. This is going to be the proof of Jesus's lordship over body and soul of man so having laid the scenario out before them he says but that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins he said to the paralytic i say to you rise pick up your bed and go home and mark tells us what happens immediately He doesn't like stumble to his feet here. Immediately, he gets up, picks up his bed, and goes home. What Jesus proved in healing the paralytic is that he did indeed forgive this man's sins and that he is therefore God. You see, the scribes, they reason correctly in their minds. Who can forgive sins but God alone? The answer is no one. What they didn't understand is that God was standing before them. 
And he demonstrates it here by healing this man. Jesus proved his lordship over man, both soul and body. Now, a few minutes ago, I encourage those of you who do not believe in Jesus' lordship to consider closely these verses and this demonstration. And this is why. Just as the scribes were witnesses to the lordship of Christ, the scriptures have spoken the same to you today. Just as clearly as Jesus looked in the eyes of the scribes and said that you may know that I am Lord, that I have authority, the scriptures look you in the eyes this morning and say the same. That you may know. Jesus is Lord. You have seen him demonstrate his lordship over body and soul. Let me ask you a question. Does the demonstration of Jesus' lordship make you feel uncomfortable? Is there something stirring within you right now that makes you feel uncomfortable at the sight of Jesus' lordship? The sight of his lordship should make you feel uncomfortable because it threatens the lordship that you believe you have over your own life. Jesus' lordship demands something of you and you cannot escape it. It demands that you submit yourself to him. And stop living under the illusion that you are Lord of your own life. Because that's all it is. It's an illusion. Jesus is Lord over all. Whether you recognize it or not, he is Lord over you. Here we see Jesus powerfully defeats the disbelief of any who would challenge his lordship. Or call it into question. Now this morning we have encountered the Lord of man. The one who has authority over body and soul. And this encounter with the Lord of man should produce one of two responses from every person in here. For those of you who are his, it should produce immense comfort and peace in you. Because his lordship over you is tender, and caring. And my prayer for you who believe is that you would embrace more and more each day the compassionate and protective lordship of Christ. That you would understand how sweet it is to entrust yourself to him. For those of you who are not his, it should produce fear and trembling in you. Because his lordship over you is a wrathful lordship. Having seen the lordship of Jesus and felt the discomfort and fear that it brings, my plea to you is that you would turn from your sins and embrace the lordship of Christ. The lordship of Jesus is inevitable. What I mean by that is this that the scriptures speak about the return of Jesus in such a way 
that when we all stand before him, all humanity will stand before him. And it says that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now some of these people on that day will bow their knees and speak with their tongues that Jesus is Lord willingly. Others will be forced to bow and will be forced to say that Jesus is Lord. And when that day comes, those of you who are forced to recognize that your entire life you have been living under the illusion of your own lordship, it's going to be too late. One way or another, your life is going to run head on with the lordship of Jesus. And he will win. Don't wait for that day to be forced to bow the knee to Jesus. Willingly embrace his lordship today. Pray with me. Father, the Lordship of Christ is so beautiful. This grand display of His control and power over the totality of man, both body and soul. Lord, it should bring us to our knees in worship. And I pray that Your Spirit would be working the glorious truth of His Lordship into our lives. That we as believers would find so much comfort in it. And that those here who do not believe would realize that that comfort can be given to them now. Help them to see that Jesus is Lord. And pray this all in his name and for his glory.